Thank you for joining me in my hen house. Nicole's Hen House is an audio space dedicated to the stories of women in the roles of business, healthcare, entertainment, and politics. I'm a millennial mama on a mission to tell the stories of women's influence in our culture. As always, cheering for you. Hi, friends, party people. Um, okay, in this episode, we are going to talk about five things I don't do as a believer. And it's not the things you think it would be. It's not a no-no list. Um, I'm interested to see if these things resonate with you guys or if they inspire you to put me in the heretical category. Um, it's been a long time coming, this list, and I'm really eager to share it with you and um, tell you what I believe, why I believe it, and uh, I want to see if this resonates. So here we go. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. party people. So I want to talk about things I don't do as a Christian. And this is not the no-no list. Um, We've all, well I'll say we've all, if you grew up in a congregation believing family, um, you were probably given a list of behaviors you could and could not do to demonstrate that you are a Christian. And so my list now looks very different than my list then. And these are the things I don't do as a believer, as someone who loves Jesus. Um, I'm deconstructing and I'm so thankful for this. Turning 30 really did what I wanted it to do. And it kind of just gave me that push to question my beliefs, seek out biblical truth and understanding and come to terms with like what I do believe and what I don't believe. And I've run the gamut of congregations. I have done everything but Catholicism and like the weird um, existential denominations, Uh, mainly because I just haven't had time or the exposure. Um, Like I've never been to a universalist congregation or I don't think I've been to an Episcopalian congregation. I could be wrong. I might have. I just don't remember. Um, but when I say I've done a lot, like I've done Lutheran, I've done Church of Nazarene, I did a weird charismatic cult, I did um, a lot of Southern Baptist, uh, Church of God, Assembly of God, um, ARC, Association of Related Churches. Um, I feel like there's a few more non-denominational um there's a few more all of that to say um i have deconstructed from my from traditional faith practices and i'm discovering my own faith and i love it because this is not outside of jesus in fact i love jesus more now than i probably did ever have and it's because i'm learning who jesus is now Um, not who, not what I have been told I'm supposed to believe about him. And this is a powerful thing. And I hope you all can come to your own place of this journey where you love Jesus for who he is, 
not what you've been told he is. Um, so as I've deconstructed, um, here's my things I don't do as a Christian. And it's important to me to express these things to you guys. So you have an understanding of where I'm coming from, but also like I'm a Bible college dropout. I don't want to mislead you guys. This really is how I feel about these things. It might change later on, but, um, this is just where we are with this. Okay, there is a presumption that because one doesn't attend a weekly congregation that they're acting out of rebellion or hurt, and it's just not true. It's not true. I don't attend a weekly congregation because it's not my calling, and quite frankly, I just don't want to. I don't. I can exhort and participate in my role in the body of Christ without it. I'm much more valuable to the body of Christ outside of a weekly congregation than I am in it. The Bible says not to for, not to forsake the assembly of saints. And guess what? We get to decide what that assembly looks like for our lives. Hebrews 10.25 Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Each time we gather with believers, i.e. dinner on a Tuesday night, a play date with our kids at the park, talking on the phone, texting with our friends. That is an opportunity to participate in fellowship with the saints. Our fellowship isn't exclusive to Sunday congregations, and it's important that we identify that when we are with other believers, that we engage in Christ-minded fellowship, that when we are on the phone with our people, that we're talking about things that are edifying to the Lord. If we are only reserving that topic for Sunday, then we're kind of missing the point. And there's things I'm willing to give up my time with my family to do, and this is just not one of them. <clears throat> the second thing I don't do is I don't tithe 10% of my paycheck. First fruits, that's what an Old Testament version of a tithe was. It was the first fruit. Um, it was the first part or the first portion of your first harvest. Um, so in Asia, that's still a practice because with tea, so there's something called a first flush and a second flush. And the first flush of tea is really good. My favorite tea of all time is Poudabong. It's a Darjeeling. It is really hard to find for affordable first flush Poudabong, but it's valuable. And it's valuable because it's rare and it doesn't happen often. So, first fruits. To assume that the only thing that we have that's valuable is, mo is money is based in a caste system. It is watered-down belief that finances makes you elect and that finances will bring you closer to God and that somehow tithing is an indication of favor to earn. A, it is... There's this misunderstanding that somehow tithing is an indication of faith to earn favors from Yahweh. You cannot buy favors from God. You cannot tithe your way into heaven. You cannot tithe your way into affection from God. That's not how it works. Um, just like first flesh putabong is hard to find and valuable, it is hard to find and it is valuable because it doesn't come around very often. So, 
when I think of tithing, I think of first fruits and I think of giving my best portion to the Lord. Okay. That's not exclusive to money. That has to do with my ideas. That has to do with my time. That has to do with how I communicate with my, with my community. That has to do with how I use my media platforms. If my first train of thought is not to honor God, then how much I'm giving really doesn't matter. Uh, And here's the other thing. I think Yahweh is much more concerned about the posture of my heart, my willingness to serve, and my overall ability to surrender my life to him than he is concerned about whether or not he gets 10% of my pre-tax or gross income. Like, I really don't understand why we're still fighting about this in 2020. In fact, I'm not going to fight about it. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> um, and I want to be very clear about this. Stop telling poor people to tithe. Stop it. I was on food stamps a year ago. Giving away 10% of our income would literally have meant we wouldn't have groceries or fuel. And I lived six minutes from where I worked. I am frugal, resourceful, and thrifty. Um, We are going to make it. We are fine. Um, But you cannot tithe your way out of poverty. You get out of poverty by taking responsibility over your finances and then creating wealth. You do not create wealth by tithing. Yes, there are blessings to generosity. And if you want to see change in the world, then good people need to be equipped with the money to facilitate that change. Congregations, traditionally speaking, are not fiscally responsible. So if we're talking about tithing, we need to exclude isolating that practice to congregations. And we need to expand it to charitable giving. Um, Like, I wish congregations were fiscally responsible. They just aren't. Nonprofits have a tendency to be more fiscally responsible and they have to submit those documents to the government. Like, it's a regulated thing. So, if you're going to give, and you're going to generate wealth, and you're going to see things that are going to implement change, give to someone you know is implementing positive change. I give to two organizations. That's it. Two. And they're not congregations. Um, As believers, we have to empower our friends to take autonomy over their resources and gifts wisely, and that isn't exclusive to money. It's our time, it's our ideas, it's our work ethic. I think if we shifted the topic of tithing to first fruits, like stop calling it tithing, calling it first fruits ideals, and wealth creation, we really could see a completely new economy established um, to reflect the book of Acts. Uh, This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. Nor was anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and and they distributed to each as anyone had need. During this brief time in history, believers sold their belongings to generate a commerce to provide for the needs of others. It wasn't some, it wasn't a little bit, it wasn't a 10%, it was full generosity. And if we put ourselves in a position to generate wealth to cover the full needs of those experiencing lack, um, 
we would see a difference in the world. And this is the mind of Christ to be connected to God, our creator and create wealth to meet the needs of others. Um, tithing, you can't tithe your way out of poverty. You can't tithe your way into wealth creation. You can be obedient and give as the Lord has called you to, and then give the rest of your first fruits across the board to Yahweh and then see what he does with it. In the book of Acts, when they did that, their needs were met. Okay, I'm not going to camp out with tithing because I can get a little heated about it. So, the third thing I don't do is I do not listen to Christian radio. Ugh, bless it. Y'all, we are not that codependent. And if you are, please seek counseling to help you unpack your trauma so you can be set free. <clears throat> Christian music, specifically, likes to cause us to go back to a place of memory where we were out of alignment or out of operating from a place of hurt or from a place of sin. We want to bring Jesus back to that place so we can remember who we were before and then like talk to Jesus from that place or use that as our motivating place to worship. Um, no, 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 like we're not that codependent. Um, Christian music causes us to return or stay in captivity of the thing we're trying to overcome by reminding us how bad we are. It is not biblical to bring Jesus back to our place of sin. And we've been trained to engage in worship from a place of shame. We've been trained to bring Jesus back to our brokenness, our worship from the, that place. And I've just kind of had enough of that. Like, I'm, I'm just had enough of it. Um, I am not buying into the shame system prom promoted by church and anymore. Because you are not downcast. You are not incapable. You are not martyred. Um... You are not a dreadful human being. You just aren't. And y'all, this type of music, it's not even uplifting anymore. It's sad and morose and um, it's shaming. Um, I have a feeling, and this could just be me, um, I have a feeling that Jesus didn't die on a cross so we could keep being sad each time a song is played in his name. Sadness and somberness do not beget reverence. It begets shame and rejection. Codependence and shame do not beget reverence. They beget fear. And being sober-minded is not the same thing as being somber. If we're being somber, let's figure out why and deal with it. But that is not worship from a place of wholeness. 1 John four seventeen, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus was in perfect alignment with God. He did not do anything outside of the will of his Father. That authority and that connected to connectedness to heaven belongs to us now. If Jesus could worship the Father from a place of wholeness, so can we. 
We do not have to operate. We do not have to worship from a place of shame. We do not have to worship from a place of reminding Jesus of how bad we are and how good he is. Jesus didn't worship God that way, and we don't either. We can worship God because he is good, not because we are bad. And we are not bad because he is good. He is good because he is good. And we can worship from a place of he is good, and that's enough. Us being bad does not make him good. It just doesn't. Hi, babe chicks. If you are enjoying this content or want more in-depth content, please go visit the website, nicoleshenhouse.com. After the show, I would be so appreciative if you left your review on any of the listening platforms. Thanks for listening. Jesus is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are. We cannot continue to worship from a place of shame, piety, martyrdom, frailty, insecurity. When I engage the Trinity during worship, it's not from a codependence place. It's from a place where I can acknowledge the power and the divinity we all walk in. If we believed we're the beloved like Jesus, okay, we're co-heirs with Jesus, meaning we are beloved, We don't need to keep reminding him of our brokenness that was covered on the cross. Um, Ephesians 2.18, for through him, we have, we both have access by one spirit to the father. We all have access to heaven. We all have access to Jesus. And if Jesus is our access point and we believe that as he is, so are we, we don't have to keep coming to Jesus from this place of sin. We don't have to come to Jesus from a place of brokenness. We can come before the throne boldly, just like Jesus did. Okay, this one gets me in a lot of trouble, and it's why I was only a youth pastor for for about 70 days. I mean, this was not the entirety of it, but these these non-traditional trains of thought. I am not going to teach modesty. I will teach flattery because there are some things that just are not cute. Um, There are some things that are not like, here's what I mean by flattery. There is a formal dance for adults a few months, a few weeks ago. And this bodybuilder, she was gorgeous, perfectly sculpted perfectly sculpted like six-pack chiseled arms skinny neck strong jawline she is like lovely she wore a strapless dress that was not the most flattering look for her this woman would have been a goddess in a halter top she would have been like perfectly elegant in a one-shouldered dress this woman would have been elegant in a dress with sleeves because it really would have shown the definition of the cuts in her arm better that sleeveless dress was not flattering flattery and modesty have nothing to do with one another flattery has to do with dressing for your body type uh but that is a side note so here's the deal uh and let me be very clear about this i will not stutter Women's bodies are not sin temples. 
We were not created to cover up our beauty to protect males. Males are expected to behave like men, or rather human beings, who are capable of using self-control and being responsible for their own minds and actions. Women were not put on this earth to shark away from their identity because a male had an unsavory train of thought. Males should be held accountable and women were created to live in freedom. Modesty talk is a form of control and that is something Jesus vehemently opposed. Again, if we're going to believe that we're co-heirs with Jesus partaking in the life he lived, then we can't view someone of a different gender as a sin magnet. Looking at someone of the opposite sex and placing the responsibility on them to protect our own thought patterns is wrong and it's not biblical. We are empowered to take our thoughts captive and we are empowered to take autonomy over our minds. That is not the responsibility of another human being. It's ours. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by this. I have a son and a daughter. I have to train my kids how to honor their bodies and therefore honor one another. Anything done, thought pattern and behavior, that is outside of that, it has to be corrected. Do I want my daughter to wear unflattering garments? No, but she'll figure it out with gentle, with gentle guidance how to dress well for her body type. Let's also be clear, appearance is not consent. Um, I'm going to give a very elementary example of what I mean by this, of how, how someone looks is not, how someone is addressed is not consent for someone else to harm them, nor are they responsible for the other person's actions or train of thought. Okay, so we live in the South and we believe in looking cute and the bigger the bow, the closer to Jesus. So, when my son approaches his sister and steals her bow, am I going to shame my daughter for wearing a bow and causing my son to sin? Is it my daughter's fault that she's wearing a bow and her her big brother hurt her? No, I'm going to correct my son for not keeping his hands to himself. My son is responsible for making sure that he honors his sister. Adult minds are the same way. Males become men by demonstrating self-control and honor. If I can teach this to a two-year-old, your seven-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 12-year-old, your 15-year-old, your 21-year-old, your your 30-year-old, your 40-year-old, your 50-year-old, your 60-year-old partner, they can figure this out. This isn't complicated. It is a choice to demonstrate self-control and honor. And you are equipped, and they are equipped to do this. John fourteen twenty one, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I have said to you. We're equipped to do this. And then number five, and this is the one that is most likely going to put me in the heretical category, and I'm okay with it because... I haven't really found anything other than this. I'm not going to teach that sin murdered Jesus. In fact, I'm not going to teach that Jesus was murdered. That is a false teaching 
um, about the gospel because, in fact, Jesus wasn't murdered. Sin, the redemption of sin, that is a part of the testimony of Jesus. But it wasn't sin that murdered him. And in fact, Jesus wasn't murdered. Jesus knew what he was doing. He surrendered. He gave up. He offered. He sacrificed his life so we could be co-heirs with him. I'm so thankful for the way the gospel was presented to me, but it was flawed. Um, So often we're taught, our sins put Jesus on the cross. Um, No. Our sins did not put Jesus on the cross. Uh, John 3.17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world... But that the world through him might be saved. The gospel of Jesus is not condemnation, it's love. When the gospel is spoken in a way that implies that we've murdered him with our sin, that is coercion, not love. And that type of coercion is dangerous because it yields a false sense of security in the gospel. It yields a group of people who identify Christianity as a means to escape hell escape hell. And it's short-sighted. And it's causing people to still view Yahweh as the ultimate principle with a report card in the sky to give us approval. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 Ransom, by definition. Ransom, a noun is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. The holding or freeing of a prisoner in return for a payment of ransom. To give. Freely transfer the possession of to the possession of something to someone. To hand over to, to cause or allow someone or something, to have someone or something, or to provide supply with. So Jesus transferred his life for us. He gave it. He surrendered it. He offered it. It was part of his destiny. It was his destiny, and it was the will of God for him to surrender his life and overcome death so we could operate in the same power that he did. On the cross, he bore the burdens of humankind, including sin giving us the ultimate comforter and big brother, himself. He led the way for us to walk in unity with Yahweh, with Father God, divine connectedness. We are so loved, and we are so beloved by our Savior Jesus and Father God. I am not saying we are without sin. In fact, our sin makes it obvious that we need a Savior. Um, some, we need our savior, like sin makes it obvious that we can continue to esteem to be like Jesus. What I am saying is that this was a choice he made born from love. We are so loved that he gave, he gave his life. Surrender isn't murder. It's not. And it's clear we make strong distinctions between the two. Surrender is not murder. It's just not. Um, 
Jesus gave his life for us because he loved us. He gave it. He surrendered it. Um, I'm going to read the verse again. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He released his life. He gave his life in payment for us to walk with him. He did this so we could walk as he walks. Um, I could elaborate more on each of these, but I don't feel the need to at this time. Right now, I just kind of want to process with this, process this with you guys. Um, I hope this causes you to take a moment and question your own beliefs. Why do you believe what you believe? Who taught you what you believe? Do you even believe what you believe? Um, there's so many things that I believed before that just aren't biblical. And the more I read my Bible, the less I believe about what I've been taught from all aspects of life. Um, and I don't just mean the ultra conservative controlling religious ones, um, like the Southern Baptist Association. I also mean the wild and free charismatic. Um, they were all wrong. <laughs> and I'm not saying I am all right. But what I am saying is that as I've learned the inerrancies or the errancies of those denominations, it's causing me to question what I believe. And it's drawing me further in love with the Lord. And it's drawing me more and more into reading my Bible. So um, following this post or following this episode, please note, I am not going to engage or debate. I'm not going to engage in a debate with this. I have done plenty of research to study and understand my own beliefs. If this resonates with you, wonderful. If not, that's okay too. Um, If you feel the need to label this information as heretical, selfish, broken, or whatever thing you need to apply here to justify why you feel like I'm wrong, um, you can do that. However, um, you can feel that way, but that isn't permission for you to discredit what I'm saying. You do not have to agree with me, and these beliefs do not have to be your beliefs. These are my beliefs, and these are ones that I'll pass on to my kids. Eventually, they'll learn and figure out what they believe, and it will be different than what I believe. If you're like me, and you find yourself deconstructing from formal belief systems that held you in spiritual bondage, that used the word of God against you, please message me. I would love to pray for you as you deconstruct. This is a beautiful, painful, life-giving, realigning process that's just that. It's a process, and I'm here, I'm here for you. Um, I love you guys. Uh, again, it's okay for us to disagree. It's not okay for us to argue. Um, I ask that you not be presumptuous and assume that there is something wrong with me because I don't believe what you believe. That's not the gospel. So, um, I'm going to pray for you guys. I don't do this often. I think I've only done it in one other episode. But, um, yeah, I just feel a grace to pray for you guys. See, here we go. Lord, thank you so much for my friends, for these listeners who 
somehow, someway found their way to this podcast. Lord, I ask that you would comfort them, that you would reveal the truth to them, that you would reveal the true gospel, um, the gospel outside of control, the gospel that's outside of wanting to, yeah, just the gospel that's outside of control, the true gospel, the one that's full of freedom and life, the one that is actually born out of love, not coercion. Lord, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for the place of freedom that you've brought me to. Lord, I ask that as my friends pursue freedom and pursue truth, that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, and guide them in wisdom. God, you are not a God that will fail. Thank you for teaching us and leading us. Jesus, thank you for going first. Thank you for being the big brother that shows us how this was done. Jesus, you are good and you are faithful. Thank you for being seated on the throne. Lord, we love you and we bless your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Nicole's Hen House. It is a great value to me to have your ears tuned to the variety of guests on our show. If you found this content insightful, I would greatly appreciate a review on any listening platform. To contact Nicole's Hen House, visit the site, nicoleshenhouse.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Nicole's Hen House. As always, cheering for you! <laughs>